Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? This is Ben Kissel, hanging out with Travis Morningstar. Hi, Ben. Hello, Travis. Um, Okay, so we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. I say that Mm -hmm. every week because every week we have a bunch of stuff to talk about. A little bit later on in this episode, we interview Ken Bone. In the Bone Zone. In the Bone Zone. Of course, we mentioned him on last week's episode in reference to uh, Bill Maher. Mm -hmm. I thought Bill Maher was a bit of a prick to him. I know that's Bill Maher's brand and everything, but I always say... Leave Ken Bone alone. Leave him alone. Let the guy live his life. So it's a great interview. It's about 20, 25 minutes, something like that. We talk about uh, what he is predicting uh, for 2020 and discuss just a little bit about uh, what his life is like now and how his life changed just by asking one question at a town hall and wearing uh, a goofy little outfit. So I was impressed with how he's like really nice. He's, he's just like a really nice dude. Very composed. Like very composed. He has not been phased by the the weird no memification or like the human submarine stuff. Everyone's kind of making fun of him for his Reddit and whatnot. We talk a little bit about that, uh, but no, he's just like he's he's a funny character. So uh, you know, it was cool to get him on here. So it's a fun little interview. So be sure you stick around to listen to that. I also want to talk a little bit about what's going on here in Denver. Uh, Denver is the first state in the country. Obviously, they were the first to legalize marijuana. Now they're taking it one step further. They were the first to decriminalize uh, hallucinogenic mushrooms. Now, as someone uh, who previously has taken a copious amount of mushrooms, I don't take them anymore, but I think I had my fill. Um, We used to just have a random eighth of mushrooms at all times in the freezer of my old apartment. Um, and my friends would just come over and we would just, you know, consistently be technically tripping. Um, so I have to be, otherwise I would be hypocritical if I was not in favor of the decriminalization of mushrooms. I think they can be used medicinally. And again, use these things wisely. Don't go driving a semi-truck right. tripping on mushrooms because the road will quickly become, uh, you know, the set of candy land and, you know, you might kill someone, so be careful. Um, but when it comes to criminal justice reform, and obviously, you know, that's near and dear to my heart. One of the, I think the biggest um, social injustice in our country right now stems from criminal justice reform and the war on drugs. No denying 
the horrible impact it has had on filling up our prisons with people uh, who were there for, uh, you know, just mild, mild drug offenses. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, that. I think that is very good. Decriminalize it. Also, Georgia. Now, this now this is kind of crazy over here in Georgia. This is what people who are pro-choice were worried about all along. Obviously, the Georgia election, this dude, uh, Kemp, he is now the governor. He shouldn't be the governor. Of course, Georgia was the place where uh, Stacey Abrams, she lost. Uh, the voter were, the voter rolls were purged because Kemp uh, was the man in charge of the voter rolls, and he was also running for governor. Mm. So somehow they mm. allowed that conflict of interest to go unchecked, and now Georgia has signed a intense intense um, anti-abortion bill, anti-reproductive rights bill, and uh, they name it the fetal heartbeat bill. But I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and hopefully next week I can get Brooke Rogers on or or someone else to come in and, uh, and discuss what they think as well on that. Um, in some good news, the state Senate here in New York State, uh, they have voted to allow felons to serve on juries. Now, this is not people who are in prison, coming out of prison to serve on juries. Mm -hmm. These are people who serve their sentence and, you know, again, have the right to come back into society, integrate back into society. And let's be honest, if you're a felon, yeah, it sucks you can't vote in most places. It sucks you don't have all of your rights. But one of the good things about being a felon was not having to serve on jury duty. So in some ways, pull you back in. <laughs> this kind of sucks for them because I had to serve on jury duty about seven years ago. So I know I'm getting that letter again at some point soon in the mail. Um, that was one of the perks of being a felon, yeah. not having to sit there in a jury of your with a jury of your peers and have to listen to the ramblings of a defense and prosecuted attorney um so felons to integrate them back into society they will be allowed to serve on juries so i want to talk about that also facebook now facebook it's interesting and i want to have a conversation with travis about this so they banned Louis Farrakhan. Obviously, yeah. he's a total piece of crap. They banned uh, Alex Jones. Obviously, again, total piece of crap. They're banning a lot of different groups of people that... Uh, Milo. Is, Milo. And, inflammatory um, assholes, yeah. to, to be honest. But the question is, is this a slippery slope for Facebook? Does it? Because Twitter has been kind of doing this. And I'll tell you one thing. These Silicon Valley tech people are not the moral authority this country needs. So if you're going to be an open flat platform for speech, I think you kind of have to be an open platform for speech. But at the same time, you have a First Amendment constitutional right. You don't necessarily have a constitutional right to say whatever you want in an independent platform. And for all intents and purposes, even though they are all encompassing, social media is still businesses that are just ran. Uh, like businesses, and uh, you know, as we've seen with a series of other Supreme Court decisions, uh, with the uh, Colorado the the gay wedding cake mm -hmm. uh, fiasco, businesses have a right to serve people and not serve people. So, if Facebook doesn't want to have all right psychopaths or anti-Semitic people like Louis Farrakhan on their platform, they do have a right, in my opinion, to kick them off. But what does it mean? You know, so we'll just have a conversation about that. Mm -hmm. Also, Donald Trump, you know, he's such a great businessman. He is such a good businessman that he's almost like a magician where it's like he made a billion dollars disappear <laughs> over a series of 10 years. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. That is why everything is a lie. 
every like the whole you know the whole spun narrative uh, that Donald Trump has created for himself it's all a lie but i guess you got to give you got to give some credit to just the undenying but what an american the, what an american success story what to, an american to story. have been able to lose a billion dollars i mean i know I know, really, Must really incredible. Must be nice. Must be nice. And I also want to talk about uh, drug prices when it comes to them appearing in television ads. This is actually a good news story. This is something the Trump administration uh, is doing properly. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that. Before I get to that, I have some DMs I would like to read. Uh, this DM comes in from a father who wants to discuss how the student debt crisis is negatively impacting parents. And, you know, I talked about this on the last episode where it's like a lot of elderly folks mm-hmm. are like, what the what the hell? Why is my Social Security being garnished? My wages are being garnished because I have a $20,000 student loan debt or $50,000 student loan debt when I studied typewriting in 1973. Right. You know, God knows where. Um, so this guy writes to me on uh Instagram, you can always DM me at Ben Kissel one He says, yo, Ben, and I say, hello, my man. He says, love Top Hat. That's great. Thank you so much for listening. The latest episode, you talked about student loans. He goes on to say, I'm 55. My kids just graduated from college. They have debt, which is horrible, but no one ever talks about the debt parents take on. I thought 40000 was a lot of money that I saved, but not nearly enough to get them through school. I now have a parent plus loan of $150,000. My wife and I hope to put everything extra we make uh, toward this for years just to give my kids what I had. Just horrible things to face at my age. I'm sure I should have done better saving, but never thought state tuition plus room and board could cost $28,000 a year just to park on campus is $700 per semester. Uh, He appreciates us talking about that issue. So again, when it comes to the student loan crisis, this is not about you know, kids wanting handouts and all that kind of stuff. This is about parents and elderly people uh, completely being screwed and seeing all of their savings evaporate in the blink of an eye. Yeah, getting an education shouldn't feel like World War Two, where every every par- part of the family is contributing to the war effort. Seriously, and like, seriously, just like riveting and uh, uh, and eating rations to, to Dude, pay off to- a student loan so you could work as like I don't know a bank teller and not, before you and- get automated before a robot comes and takes your job anyway. Uh, yeah, it really is remarkable. That's a great analogy. And that really, it does seem that's what's going on with these families. Going to college should not bankrupt your family. That is like so <laughs> crazy uh, that we've allowed that uh, to occur in this country. And universities, I don't really think they've gotten much better. Um, as a matter of fact, my understanding is the education has sort of tailed off a little bit as expenses continue to rise because they know they got you over a barrel and um, they can do whatever the hell they want to do because if you don't got that piece of paper, <laughs> life is going to be a little bit more difficult yeah. for you. Although, then again, you can also do a lot without a college degree and you can be immensely successful. So we don't have to believe that lie either. That's yeah, part think, of their marketing. I think more and more going to college is going to be like skydiving like, yeah. where you're just like, Oh, I could never go to college. I could never do something so crazy and stupid like that. Seriously. I mean, it does I mean, if you just take yourself out of it for a second and you're just like an alien, you're coming down to America 
And you're like, well, yeah, you're supposed to have a college degree, and then theoretically you can get a good job. Oh, yeah, that college degree is going to saddle you with $200,000 worth of debt that you won't be able to pay off until maybe you're 70. It doesn't make – we only live until 78. It doesn't make any rational sense. Yeah, like if you go skydiving, there is a chance that the the parachute deploys wrong and it chokes you as you plummet to the – Well, you actually did skydiving because you were a freaking lunatic. (laughs) But anyway. Um, All right, so thank you so much uh, for sending me that message. It was uh, always interesting to hear from you. And again, you can tweet at me at Ben Kissel or find me on Instagram at Ben Kissel one. Okay, let's talk about this story regarding drug prices, because this is a positive story and we don't get enough of those specifically in the toxic environment uh, that we live in uh, when it comes to politics. So the Trump administration, for the first time, will require pharmaceutical companies to include the price of prescription drugs in television advertisements if the cost of those drugs exceed $35 per month. This dude, Alex M. Azar the second. I mean, you always want to be a second mm. Azar. Alex M. Azar the second. He is the Health and Human Services Secretary. He is the most visible person when it comes to this issue. The proposal could be challenged, however, by the drug industry, which argues that revealing the list price will, quote, confuse consumers and could violate the company's First Amendment rights. Because, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, that's their concern. They don't want to confuse (laughs) us. You know, and honestly, it really could be confusing when your brain is full of OxyContin. Yeah, things really can be confusing, pharmaceutical industry. I love that their reason for not wanting transparency on drug prices is they don't want to confuse the American people. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's like drugs are always... uh, Drugs already like saying like this may cause death or like drippy butt but then saying $35 per per pill is supposed to be the thing that that's what's confusing that's what's confusing me it's not how you have a pill for that that uh, a pill that's supposed to prevent heart attacks and then when they list the side effects they're like possible heart attack side effects this 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 medication might give you the spiral uh, syndrome from one of the Junji Ito books but but saying that it costs $45 is the thing that's going to throw you off it's confusing Travis it's confusing to to know how much money you have to spend so then you know how to balance your budget at home. It's confusing for people. Um, This is, again, according to uh, the pharmaceutical industry. They say, well, the list price of some drugs can be thousands of dollars a month. Patients with insurance that covers their prescription frequently pay far less, often less than $50. This is according to, again, Mr. Azar II. He said this in a conference call with reporters. He said, quote, we are moving from a system where people are left in the dark to a system where patients are put in the driver's seat. In ads, drug companies have been required to provide a list of potential side effects, as we just mentioned, under the new guidelines expected to take effect uh, this summer. All direct-to-consumer television advertisements for drugs covered by Medicare or Medicaid must include the list price, also known as the wholesale acquisition price, in their ads. A disclaimer will also state, quote, if you have insurance that covers drugs, your cost may be different. Drug makers must update the price they disclose every quarter, which will be the product's monthly cost or the price for a course of treatments if it's not a chronic medication. The, dis- the disclosure must be, quote, in legible text, which is just hilarious because you know they were going to try to make this like Mr. Magoo style, like it was going to be so tiny you would have to bring a little microscope up to your television screen to see the price of the drug. So they put in, it has to 
be in legible text at the end of the advertisement, much like uh, the list of side effects. The move has been pushed by a patient advocacy group, which have complained that television drug ads amounting to about $4 billion of the $5 billion spent by the industry on product promotion steer patients to high-priced medications or drugs they do not uh, need. So this, I believe, is a step in the right direction when it comes to just the consumer knowing what the hell they have to pay to get this drug. Because you know what happens now is, I talked to a, a doctor buddy of mine, and um, what happens now is I was talking to him, and he said the patient comes in and like prescribes themselves. Yeah. They'll be like, I, I think I need Lipitor. And I'm he'll be like, why? And then they'll like go through the list of like things. You'll be like, you just regurgitated the commercial. Like, Do you also have two bathtubs in your bathroom and you hold your wife's hand? Yeah. Like, they, so the patient is now telling the doctor what they want yeah. because they saw it in an ad. Yeah, so I, f- I, feel what, like, I feel like the sad Geo dude from uh, the Zoloft commercials. Could you prescribe me Zoloft? Exactly. There's like a cloud over my head. I feel like I'm not smiling very much. Like, but like with medical stuff, it's always so shadowy and undisclosed. Absolutely. Like, why? You I know? don't know why. Like I got I like last year I sprained my leg and I had to go see a specialist. And then as I was leaving the doctor's office. I was like, all right, so what do I owe you? Like, how do we get this sort of taken care of? And they're like, oh, we'll, you know, you'll get the, you'll get the bill soon sometime. And so like four weeks later, I get like, like the Harry Potter with a Hogwarts owl flies into my apartment (laughs) with an envelope carrying a bill for like $600. Right. And it's like, why can't we just, why is this stuff is, why is it so hard to, to wring this information out of these people? I don't know. That's just well, and with with the way the insurance company works as well. Uh, oftentimes, these doctors will get a kickback from these pharmaceutical industries and from these drug makers and stuff like that. The Pfizer's of the world, the whole thing. Once you put money into something, and once it becomes a five billion dollar industry, that is ripe for uh, corruption. It's just ripe for a bunch of people to try to make money and not try to make people healthy but then there's like yeah the, the culture of not disclosing this information is so ingrained that it seems to somebody like me just an outsider who yeah. just recently got health insurance thank you ben uh better health insurance than i have travis yeah but you know what you need it more than i do i, I do. haven't been to the doctor in 15 I'm years i'm constantly and almost dying i know it's it's a strange curse that you but have there is like this culture of like did you like run over a, a like a, a gypsy woman like in the in the stephen king movie thinner or something at some point in your life and did she just be like sickness <laughs> yes. like is that what happened <laughs> but uh yeah like so to a casual observer of the health insurance industry and of medical practices in general, there is like this weird, eerie uh, acceptance yeah. of just not disclosing anything. Keeping and, people in the dark. Yeah, And then a- asking about it even seems like um, gauche or like not. Well, it's just like you entered into like, you know, like you're in the movie Suspiria and you're just asking all the wrong questions. <laughs> yes. Be like, who's running this place? Like, where is the witch? And then like, your doctor turns out to be Tilda Swinton wearing a set of prosthetic balls. <laughs> yeah, so I did not. I didn't even realize that she played the dude in the new Suspiria. I was really. But How we did you about, not? I just didn't notice. I, I thought the movie was badass. I liked it. Anyway, many of the most heavily advertised drugs cost thousands of dollars per month. Two dosing pens of this is a thing called Abivis Humera, which treats rheumatoid arthritis. My father has that mm-hmm. really bad. And other conditions have an average retail price. 
This is like the worst. Um, this is like the worst. Uh, what is it? Uh, the sh- the showdown. Um, Price is right. Yeah, right. This is like the worst. Price is right. Um, <laughs> like, what's the name of the final showdown they do? The showcase showdown. Showcase showdown. Yeah. This yeah. is like the worst showcase showdown of all time. The average retail price. Okay, this is. I'll I'll throw this up to you. We're on. We're on the Price is Right. Okay. Showcase showdown. You're looking at a boat, a really nice boat, but you have to tell me how much is it a month for an average. <laughs> Treatment for rheumatoid arthritis. How much is it a month? Ooh, uh, two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, two hundred and fifty dollars a month. See, I have it's, no idea. Well, you went under, so you're still in the game. It's five thousand six hundred and eighty-four dollars a month. That's according to the website GoodRx, which tracks drug prices. Another frequently advertised drug, uh, Zelojans, Zjans, a Pfizer arthritis medication, costs. $4,840 a month. So this measure has been applauded by Senators uh, Dick Durbin out of Illinois, Charles Grassley, of course, the Republican out of Iowa. Dick Durbin's a Democrat, so we have some bipartisan support here, which I think is good. Um, together, they tried to pass this legislation, and this is a quote from the senators. They said this in a joint statement. Again, this is Dick Durbin and Charles Grassley, a Democrat out of Illinois and a Republican out of Iowa. This is their joint statement. They say, direct to consumer prescription drug advertisements are everywhere and they tell you just about everything imaginable about the drug other than its price the statement goes on to say we believe american patients deserve transparency and i gotta say i am uh yeah i think that that is a good thing and hopefully uh this can uh this will at least educate the american people a little bit more about the insane cost of healthcare in this country can i also just share with you my favorite chuck grassley tweet of course uh so in november 3rd on november 3rd of 2014 he tweeted uh windsor heights dairy queen is a good place for you know what <laughs> for what? what i actually don't i don't know toe tap and uh grassley what's going just on tweeted that at like uh 11 a.m windsor heights dairy queen is a good place for you know what <laughs> you gotta love it. <laughs> I just don't want to think about the uh, the just his pants down in a gallon of Oreo ice cream. <laughs> you know what it's good for? You know oh yeah, the old senators rolling by the DQ guys. Get that ice cream nice and extra cold for me, would you? And I think he followed up like months later and was like back at the Dairy Queen doing you know what? Oh like, my I, god, I think he's it's his favorite spot. To... Old people on Twitter, you know, for the longest time we had shows like kids say the darndest things, and I think that Twitter has taught us old yeah. people say the darndest Seniors things. Tweet the weirdest shit. They do. So going back here just briefly, Mr. Azar the second, he says about the drug companies protesting this. He says if you're ashamed of your drug prices, change your drug prices he compared the new requirement to being a similar requirement that affected the automobile industry he says uh, we have over 50 years required that car manufacturers and car dealers post the sticker price of cars on the windows of their cars and be transparent about it it's just a starting point so the new rule could prompt drug companies to lower their costs out of fear consumers would reject their products based on sticker shock alone which uh again i think that they probably would and so Mm -hmm. we have to the fact that the drug companies are so scared to let people know what it costs is a indicative to them knowing that what they are pricing these drugs at (laughs) is completely and utterly fucking insane 
So uh, they, they know it. Yeah. Because that's why they don't want to do this. And every everything, it's just so bizarre. If you look at every fast food ad, everything is the price. Everything yeah. is about, it's one ninety nine. I was just thinking, yeah, like everything going had, into a restaurant and you're like, so what does this cost? And they're just like, <laughs> I... You'll see after you, you eat know, it, we'll send you the check. Yeah. After you can't say no to it anymore because it's inside of your body, we'll, we'll let you know. It is totally and utterly uh, ridiculous. So... Uh, that is some positive news. We got to get these drug companies to be more transparent with the American people because they are bankrupting people every chance they can get. And we talk about the dying middle class. How, how do we? Why do we have so much wealth inequality? We just talked about previously education. Mm. That's one of the reasons. Healthcare is another reason. These five thousand dollars a month here. Paying 150k, having to get a special loan, parent loan program out, uh, so you can send your kids to college. All of this stuff bogs people down. And you know, I mean, I used to have some credit card debt, and I certainly had a lot of student loan debt. I got to pay off my student loans, which it I had a physical feeling uh, when I when I find, when I made the call to the company, and I was like, seventeen thousand bucks. That's all I have to pay off. I can do it right now. And when I paid it off, I had a physical like weight lifted off of my shoulders yeah the, the, because it the just, hump on your back sort of went went down absolutely it just looms over people because no one wants to be in debt no one likes being in debt it, it it's demoralizing and uh, it makes I, people i love it i think it's i think it's, it makes me feel dignified makes you feel like you're like you're alive like mm -hmm. you're always running from something yeah, and you never feel comfortable it's, it's like i have a ruler just propping mm -hmm. my back up it's just taped to my back Perfect. It's always nice when you feel like the prop from the movie Dead Silence. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So that is a little bit on on that. And uh, hopefully that can lead to a uh, more transparency coming from these drug companies. And again, it's a testament to them knowing they're doing something immoral and corrupt because they don't want to tell us uh, the prices of the drugs. They don't want to let us know how much they're screwing us over. Um, so that's that is a step. In the right direction. Okay, well, speaking of cash, let's talk about this because we didn't get Donald Trump's tax returns. He still refuses no. to, uh, you know, to uh, to release those. In California, they're trying to debate if he can not be on the ballot or kicking him off the ballot um, because they want to make it a state law that you have to disclose your taxes in order to run for president. Yeah, does it really matter? California, I don't think he's going to win it. Um, but, you know, I think it could send a solid message here. So this this story just kind of broke. I think it was like May 7th or so. Uh, Decades-old Trump tax returns show over a billion dollars in losses. So this was in the 1980s and the 1990s. He lost hundreds of millions of dollars on failed business deals. The documents from 1985 to 1994 show that Donnie, Donald Trump, lost millions each year on casinos, hotels, and retail space, totaling a complete loss of a one. $1.7 billion <laughs> over the decade. Can you even, almost $2 billion he just lost. I cannot, the art of the deal, the art of the deal. Um, losing losing $2 million is not cool. Losing $2 billion I'm the is, biggest loser. I've lost more money. really cool. I've lost more money than any other billionaire. I'm just such a great losing. I'm so good at losing. I'm the best loser of money. I don't even know, but I'm just so good at it. He totally like, uh, you know, defies the sunk cost fallacy. He lost all that money yeah. and he was just like, you know, what? we're just going to keep going. Yeah. Just corporate America in general and politics, politics and corporate America, the two biggest, largest professions that 
um, celebrate people failing up. Mm-hmm. There are so when I worked at Fox News in 2016, there were so many people that I was like, "How are you here? Like, <laughs> what are you doing?" And they had offices, and I know for a fact they made like millions of dollars a year. One of the guys, his name, oh my god, he was a big fat guy. He was horrible. He was fired. It's not Bill Shine. I forget the guy's name, but he was a big old boy, massive, disgusting-looking guy. And I went into his office to meet him, and he had just finished blowing his nose in a in a uh, Kleenex. And he had the Kleenex in his hand, took it out of his hand, and then just shook my hand with the hand that was just previously holding a nasty old man, Fox News, yes. morbidly obese, piece of scum, booger factory. Yes. And I was like, okay, nice to meet you. And I was like, how are you employed, and how are you a multimillionaire? Politics and business, you can fail up. And Donald Trump is a perfect example in both politics and business of failing up. And when we talk about a little bit of financial privilege, that's exactly what that Mm -hmm. looks like. So Trump lost most of his money during this period, uh, and he avoided paying income tax for eight of those 10 years. Uh, Compared to IRS data, Trump lost more money than most other taxpayers during that time. In 1990 and 1991, he lost $250 million, double the next closest filer for those years, literally the best at losing money. <laughs> Trump lawyer uh, Charles J. Harder called the figures demonstrably false. And, of course, we can trust uh, Donald Trump's lawyer uh, as far as we can. As far, <laughs> you know, just as the, the four <laughs> steps that Michael Cohen is taking right now back and forth in his uh, in his prison cell. That's how much you can trust. Yeah, if, uh, you, just very little. Just he, very, he, very if little. If he's anything like Trump's doctor, uh, the sort of... Oh, yeah, the hippie doctor that <laughs> yeah. did you look like the Big Lebowski? Yeah. That guy was a character. That guy was amazing. Uh, the, the, the Trump universe, it's like... I don't want to say it's like a Marvel movie. It's like a DC movie. It's just, well, it's, if, a, it's a horrible knockoff. If it is like a Marvel movie, Trump's doctor was like Fat Thor. For sure, I love Fat Thor. It's dinner time, your stomach is rumbling, and you still don't know what you're going to eat tonight. Sound familiar? With DoorDash, you don't even need to get up from the couch to get a meal cooking. DoorDash connects you to all your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Just use the DoorDash app and choose what you want to eat, and your Dasher will bring it right to you wherever you are. Not only is that pizza place you love on DoorDash already, but over 310,000 other amazing restaurants are too. DoorDash connects you with door-to-door delivery in over 3,000 and 300 cities and all 50 states across the United States and Canada. Order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, my listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code TOP. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code TOP. Again, that's promo code TOP for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. So Trump lawyer Charles J. Harder said it's demonstrably false. He also told the paper in statements about the president's tax returns and business from 30 years ago are highly inaccurate. Uh, He also added IRS transcripts, particularly before the days of electronic filing, are notoriously inaccurate and would not be able to provide a reasonable picture of any taxpayer's return. So basically, I guess the IRS in the 80s and the 90s wasn't right. Mm -hmm. Is that right? The only thing 
thing this government knows how to do is take your money. Like the only thing they are 100% productive at is like, we know for a fact you got seven bucks underneath your bed. We will take seven of that, please. Um, so I highly doubt that this lawyer is telling the truth here. The, uh, the White House official had earlier claimed, quote, the president got massive depreciation in tax shelter because of large-scale construction and subsidized developments. That is why the president has always scoffed at the tax system and said you need to change the tax laws. You can make a large income and not have to pay a large amount of taxes. And, of course, this he passed the tax bill, which was nothing more than a massive fuck you to the middle class of this country. The Republican tax bill that made corporate tax cuts permanent at 21%. This whole idea that Donald Trump is like, I'm fighting for the working man. These corporations aren't paying enough taxes. The the proof is in the pudding. The tax, the the one that added freaking 1.5 trillion bucks to the deficit, that Republican tax plan is completely... That is the truth. That is what they believe, not what this stupid lawyer is talking about regarding how Donald Trump thinks uh, that the wealthy don't pay enough taxes because he definitely made it easier Mm -hmm. for the wealthy not to pay many taxes. So in 1985, Trump borrowed hundreds of millions and purchased a casino. There's a great documentary on this. I think it's called um, It's Not American Greed. Uh, it's a little it's a little mini series. I think it's on Netflix. It's really interesting. Uh, they do a whole thing on uh, on the uh, casino debacle and uh, the football league that he got involved with. Everything this man touches uh, crumbles like uh, like a bunch of freaking dominoes. So in 1985, Trump borrowed hundreds of millions and purchased a casino for 351 million bucks, a Manhattan hotel for 80 million bucks, uh, the resort Mar-a-Lago, which is the mm. the 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 Florida White House, um, he purchased that for ten million, a building for sixty million, a rail yards in the West Side for eighty five million. That's according to the report. Some investments like Mar-a-Lago did not turn a profit for years. In total, Trump lost forty six million dollars in nineteen eighty five, in addition to five point six million dollars carried over. From the previous year, Trump then bought an apartment building in the West Palm Beach area for $43 million, losing $68 million for that year. The real estate so-called mogul purchased a $29 million yacht just weeks before the stock market crash of 87. He then bought a Plaza Hotel for $407 million, leading to $30 million in losses for that year. Trump also recorded $42.2 million in business losses for 1987, $30 million losses for 1988. His business losses skyrocketed in 1989 when he lost $181 million. The Trump Taj Mahal Hotel opened in 1990 and was severely in debt, causing a combined loss of $517 million in 1990 and 1991. So there is a lot in the red when it comes to uh, Donald Trump, he is—he uh, has more red than Steve Bannon's alcoholic, strange little nose. Um, so that is just another reminder that this person is not—he is not who he says he he's is. The, I mean, he's the personification of this—the illusory idea of success in America, where you just borrow and borrow, and and his whole life has been borrowing. You're lo- you're just sitting on credit. I borrow, I, I'm a self-made billionaire. I only borrowed a million dollars from my father. It, can you imagine that borrowing a million dollars from your freaking dad? I mean, that's why, you know, I, when I got that, when I get these DMs from people uh, who don't have the luxury of getting a million bucks from their father, like that father who is trying to pay for his children's education, and my heart just breaks for them. And that's why the Trump message 
the Trump message of this country sucks, this country is on the, on the wrong track, which is basically his message for 2016, uh, resonated because there's a lot of problems with this country. And, of course, the ultimate irony is uh, the problems lie with the policies that he is passing. Uh, yeah. It was specifically in this case when it comes to uh, income inequality and when it comes to uh, the taxation, uh, corporate taxation, the fact that Amazon doesn't pay any taxes is absolutely driving me completely and utterly insane after they make $11 billion. I mean, if you want to see, I, it's really indicative to me the the way that New York City real estate is sort of, uh, I don't know if you've been, if you've, like, if you go to Manhattan right now. I've been you, there. You'll see, you'll see business after business shut down with for sale signs. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're just the clusters of buildings. Well, with Amazon, so Amazon destroyed brick and mortar first um they just took over everything again it was just a book retailer let's not forget that just a book retailer first it killed the literary industry then it moved on to kill every other industry in the brick and mortar and now it's over half of the internet sales are done through amazon so now they're killing the last bastion of free market entrepreneurship which is what the internet is uh the small businesses the etsy's of the world uh, us last podcast network the last bastion of small entrepreneurship, small business entrepreneurship is the internet, and now Amazon is coming for that. So it's just a matter of time. You know, and I was actually at a casino in uh, in Minneapolis, and I was talking to the guy who was playing some blackjack, and I was just talking to this dude, and he's like, I I, I, I was bitching about Amazon as I as I do everywhere I go. I'm, I'm a really good time at mm-hmm. casinos. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to hear about Amazon. And he was just constantly like, yeah, well, I just like how convenient it is. I don't like to look at all those other websites. And... It is easy, and uh, that's it's it's really just incredible that someone can't click on a different website or something. But that and of is, course, Am- that's just Amazon, though. But that is the I, that's the route the country is going, and that's the kind of country Trump wants to see. Like the reason why those businesses don't get filled in the, these streets in Manhattan is because well, it's too too expensive. It's well, it's too expensive. Even if, but if they don't, they want to jack the rent up for these buildings to then get uh, credit. To get loans for what these the for buildings that seem higher valued, and then so you have no businesses moving in, and it, it's basically an imaginary world of money. Absolutely, which is what the kind of the kind well, of Trump world is. is you this- know, that's why there's a lot of predictions that the economy will collapse around 2022, um, and I think that those predictions will end up being true because we're seeing the bubbles blow up right in front of our eyes. For example, yeah. the housing bubble; uh, they just relaxed legislation that said to banks hey don't make predatory loans like if they don't got the money don't give them the loan they they repealed that they peeled that back uh, exactly what the banks were doing before the housing crisis uh, hit in 2007 2008 so th- we are right on track right on time for another housing bubble to burst i think that what we're seeing with the universities uh, the 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 uh, the unbelievable amount of debt that people are being settled with the universities at some point, it's just going to have to, what are we going to do? I mean, once these people just die, there's a bunch, like, that's another big bubble that's about to burst, the college bubble, I firmly believe that's going to burst. So we're we're seeing it happen in real time right in front of our eyes, and uh, I do think uh, that people are correct predicting that 2022 is yeah. going to be a little bit more I of a downturn do uh, cycle. Not, I, I, I realistically do not understand how many people survive. Like, there are just not... No. It, it's that a, many jobs out no, there. No, and you drive through places. And industries collapsing all the time around us. You it's know, like, man, I really don't actually know how people. That's why do I it. was so fucking pissed off. Uh, excuse my language. 
been. Um, I'm sorry, but that's why I was so upset with Amazon wanting to roll through Long Island City. I'm like driving through Indiana, looking at Gary. I'm like, or, or driving through Ohio. There's so much space. I'm like, Amazon, plop your weird little headquarters in any of those places in the middle of this country. You can create an entire com- uh, economy. You can create an entire town in your image. Yeah. So ever you can make everyone shave their heads and get jacked, just like your master Jeff Bezos. You can do whatever. You can have your Amazon cult in any of these towns and revitalize those towns. Don't bother coming to a city that's already basically done, um, such as New York City. Anyway, all right. That's my ranting about Amazon. That's old man corner there. Um, let's talk about mushrooms. So mm. I love I I do I don't take them anymore. My brain has been broken. I, enough. I, I'm told they will fix my crippling depression. Actually, if I do, they might. That's what I'm. Told. If you get a really good, I'm looking at a picture here. This is from uh, the Denver Post. Looking at a picture of the, uh, of the shrooms they have. Uh, you got some good purple in there. You know, it's not the size of the shroom. It's really the coloring of the shroom that you're looking for. You want a deep purple. And it should you should be able to see a couple of like you know the threads and stuff like that. You should be able to really see it. Um, so Denver is poised to become the first city in the nation to effectively decriminalize psychedelic mushrooms. After it was so this was this whole thing was very close. So it was like touch and go, and mm-hmm. everyone's like, I don't want it, and then some people were like, I do want it, and it looks like the I do want it seem to be winning at the very least with the initiative 301 set to pass narrowly with 50.6% of the vote the total stands at 89,320 votes in favor and 87,341 votes against a margin of 1,979 Votes. The Denver Elections Division will continue accepting military and overseas ballots, but typically those numbers are small, so the re- the results will be certified by May 16th. This is according to a dude uh, named Kevin Matthews. Kevin Matthews was the campaign manager for Initiative 301. He says, it's been one hell of a 21 and a half hours. And you know he's on mushrooms because he's got it right down to the minute. It's been one hell of a 21 and a half hours. If these results hold... This is an example of the absurd comedy of the great metaphor, against all odds we prevailed. This is what happens when a small team of dedicated and passionate people unite under a single idea to create change. Denver's vote has attracted national attention, while efforts are also afoot to make the psychedelic uh, components of mushrooms legal Mm -hmm. in states like Oregon and California. Those are two measures that are going to be on the ballot in 2020. Denver hosted the first ever U.S. popular vote on the matter, according to organizers. Uh, Though Initiative 301 attracted no organized opposition, critics of Colorado's legislation of marijuana lamented the prospect of Denver blazing yet another trail they see as misguided and potentially Harmful. This is according to Jeff Hunt, the director of the Centennial Institute of Colorado Christian University. I don't know if it's official, um, but this is Jeff Hunt. He said, we'll see what the final numbers are, but we're a little stunned to see 7,000 vote flip overnight on that. He goes on to say, we'll continue to fight the growing drug culture. Denver's becoming the illicit drug capital of the world. The larger issue here is not good for our city. He added, marijuana has brought more problems than it solved to our city and our state. And if we continue to go down this track, we're going to continue to see Colorado get in worse and worse 
shape. So this is what Initiative 301 tells police to do. As written, Initiative 301 directs police via ordinance to treat enforcement of laws against possession of shrooms at as their lowest priority. It also bars the use of city resources or money to impose criminal penalties. It's similar to decriminalization measures approved by Denver voters for marijuana years before Colorado's Amendment 64, one state wide approval. Uh, this again is according to Mr. Matthews, the uh, massive proponent for the legalization of mushrooms in Denver, Colorado or in Colorado proper. Our victory here is a clear signal to the rest of the country that we're ready for a broader conversation about mushrooms and its potential uh, benefits. So uh, this is interesting and I understand you know, some of the concern um, but I also think for criminal justice reasons uh, this is the way to go because mushrooms are you know, if you get busted with shrooms, you're in some really deep trouble. Like you're looking at significant time and for what, you know, yeah. again, you got to be safe. Don't be shro- like, you know, you don't got to like in, you don't got to microdose mushrooms yeah. every single day. Your brain is going to at some point, much like my brain did be like, I think I've had enough bad. And then I'm like, okay, brain, I'll give you a break um, from tripping balls uh, way too much. Um, I do like but at how, the same time, I, I think there can be some good benefits to it. I do like how Denver is sort of like this testing ground for decriminalizing all this stuff. Like they're they're taking the initiative here. Absolutely, and it's like I like the route they're going. It's like the uh, the shimmer in Annihilation, like you know yeah. where all the mutant plants and and screaming bears. Like what what we we get to see this play out in this one zone in yeah. the country and see if it's for the best or if it's absolutely full of, and, um, you know mimicking aliens that uh, are trying to murder us. I think there's a, a large crossover of of liberals, of conservatives, libertarian. There is a large crossover of people who have been talking about legalizing drugs in this country, and let's not forget. I mean. Back in the day, people used to just have, like, cocaine on their kitchen table, and it was like, oh, do you have a toothache, little Susan? (laughs) Have some cocaine. Rub this on there. They were all living like Johnny Cash. Um, So I think this is a good thing. Yeah. um, Because, quite frankly, we got to get people out of our prisons, and a lot of people are in there for drug offenses. Once people see that it's all good, we can... And I'm sure there's going to be some problems. I mean, of course. And it's not as if... You know, one of the things that that I want to talk about here just just quickly, when it comes to decriminalization, oftentimes people are now going to say this is going to lead to chaos. Well, the thing is, the drug itself should not be criminalized. Taking a drug, sitting on your couch, Mm -hmm. watching a fun whatever, or watching a super sad document, watching whatever the hell you want. I don't recommend watching Won't You Be My Neighbor on Mushrooms. You will. You will weep. Don't watch Dear Zachary on Mushrooms. You will go to a very sad place. Watch more uplifting things like, you know, the band The Last Waltz, something like that. Yeah, watch some beyond music. The, beyond the Black Rainbow. Oh, my <laughs> God. Well, that honestly, that, that I don't could know. Actually I actually work. don't know how. That could actually work on Mushrooms. Which way that would go. I, I think that could be. That could go either way. That's scary. That's a toss up, that's folks. That's scary. That's a toss-up. Of course, Beyond the Black Rainbow, the first film directed by the director of Mandy, a beautiful art house film. Um, so it could work, actually. But oh my God, then again, what? it could also send you down a there, strange spiral, there's too. There's a new Nicolas Cage movie called Between Worlds. I saw. Watch that on Mushrooms. Watch anything Nicolas Cage has ever done. God. Not ironically. I'm not even like... If I was on a desert island and you have to do one of those things where it's like you can only choose five actors for the rest of your life to watch all of their movies, Nicolas Cage is Uh like my number two. Like, I'm not even sure who my number one is. Maybe Jeff Bridges. 
because yeah, Jeff Bridges okay. is just incredible. But Nick, I love Nicolas Cage with all of my heart and soul. <laughs> uh, maybe that was because I took too many mushrooms when I was growing up, but uh, who knows? But when it comes down to the criminalization of the drug itself and ingesting the drug, it should not be. But now, if you are on mushrooms and you go on a a robbery spree or if you get in your car and hurt someone or if you do if you commit a crime mm-hmm. when you're on mushrooms you're still committing a crime and you will be prosecuted for committing that crime so it's not like um because they're because they're decriminalizing mushrooms that all of a sudden they're also decriminalizing actions that are taken by someone who happens to be on mushrooms you know what I'm saying? Like you still, if you commit a crime, yeah, you're still in still trouble for committing you. a crime. Like my mom, she uh, she said the first time she tried mushrooms, she got pulled over um, for speeding, and the cop came up to the side of the car and she was trying to play it cool. But once the cop reached her side window, uh, all she saw was a skeleton at the at the window, and so she sped away and got in trouble for. Um, evading the police. There you go. But it's like on her. She it's th- also very scary. She thought yeah. it was a spooky skeleton. But, yeah, uh, no, of course. But she was have... on mushrooms willingly. You, know? you have to if you're if a spooky skeleton, a skeleton is skeleton. pulling you over. Yeah, I mean you got to get the heck out of there. What's <laughs> going on? Um, all right. So that's what's happening in Denver, Colorado. Okay, let's talk about this very serious. Very serious issue going on in Georgia. The governor has signed a fetal heartbeat bill. Okay. So first of all, I want to read the text that I received from Brooke Rogers. This is what she had to say on this issue. Brooke Rogers, of course, she's been on the show before. Um, she says, it's good to mention that the language means in this in this heartbeat bill, the language means that a woman could be held criminally liable for even having a miscarriage. Yes. Uh, also, in an earlier version of the bill, it effectively banned birth control. It's a bill that pro-choice people, again, this is according to Brooke Rogers, it's a bill that pro-choice people have been fearing for years and pro-life people have been calling them fear mongers for bringing up the worst case scenario so now we are in the worst case scenario so governor brian kemp of georgia signed one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the nation basically he effectively banned abortion after six weeks of pregnancy now my understanding and please again feel free to dm me or message me on twitter my understanding is women often don't even know that they're pregnant uh at six weeks because you know figure you, ha- you, you get your period once a month. Oh, maybe you're two weeks late with your period. Um, you know, I, I know that's kind of rare, but yeah, okay, maybe I can roll with that, whatever. Oh, let me go to the doctor, check out what's going on. Turns out you're pregnant. It's the first time you're finding out that you're pregnant, and you're not allowed to have a say in your reproductive rights at six weeks. You know, there was a lot of people upset with the 20-week ban, but this makes the 20-week ban look very liberal. I mean, this six-week ban is absolutely, it is is such a power move by uh, the governor, uh, by the Republicans in, in Georgia. It is such a... It is an active war on a gender. It really is. It's, you know, that seems extreme, but I think that you are correct. It is an act of war. And, you know, when it comes to reproductive rights, obviously, I'm a a man. I'm sure you noticed. I'm sure you noticed what a man I am. Um, But even from the male perspective, let's say you accidentally do get a woman pregnant. 
And uh, you find out about it, uh, you know, as my, I had a friend who found out that he had, the a woman that he had a one night stand with was eight months pregnant. He found out when she was eight months pregnant uh, and it was, dare I say, a shock. Now, yeah. of course, they had the child and and I'm um, the God, um, I'm the Godfather and she is a absolute miracle and I love her with all my heart. But you're a dude. You you get someone pregnant. You all of a sudden you get a phone call from this chick being like, yeah, I have a, I'm, I'm pregnant. And when when did you find out? You know, when did you know? And next thing you know, you're now a man who has a woman who can no longer get an abortion, even if it's something both of you want, unless you go out of state. But let's just say you don't have a lot of cash. Uh, let's just say you have to freaking work. I mean, people have real life um, obligations. Yeah. And you can't just drive out of town all the time, uh, you know, or if you have to, uh, you know, go get this medical procedure done. So even from the male perspective, it's like, why are you making all of these people who God knows uh, what happens? So that's if that's if it's just consensual sex, it's it's a nightmare. But then you got to you got to think about rape. We have to think about incest. We have to think about all of these things, um, all of the different variables that go in to someone getting pregnant. It's not always this harmonious, wonderful situation. Oftentimes, the situation is something um, completely and utterly out of the person who is now pregnant's control. And that is why this is just so devastating and so dangerous. There's no language allowing a victim of rape or incest to receive an abortion. Like there is no, like this language is so strict. It's so rigid. It's definitely going to be challenged, uh, by the Supreme court. I think Georgia is the fourth state to enact a so-called fetal heartbeat law this year. Like in other States, it is expected to face a swift legal challenge, which supporters hope will lead to a reevaluation of the United States Supreme Court landmark 1973 ruling uh, that made abortion legal nationwide. This is according to Brian Kemp. Uh, he said this at the at the signing ceremony. He says, "Our job is to do what is right, not what is easy. We are called to be strong and courageous, and we will not back down." Thank you, Tom Petty. Uh, the Georgia le- legislation is the latest. Uh, front in a wide-ranging battle over abortion rights waged this year across Republican-controlled state legislators in the Midwest and in the South. Conservative lawmakers see the realignment of the Supreme Court as presenting their best opportunity to overturn Roe v. Wade, the case that recognized a woman's constitutional right for abortion. So how will this law uh, take effect in Georgia, the Georgia law will take effect in 2020. It prohibits most abortions once doctors can discern a fetal heartbeat, a milestone that occurs before some women even know they're pregnant. In practice, the limit on abortion in Georgia will now be six weeks of pregnancy instead of the 20 weeks. Exceptions are allowed to prevent death or serious harm to the woman, and in some cases of rape or incest, in which a police report has been filed. And as we talked with Megan Yebos, we know exactly how great the police are on filing all of those rape cases, all of those uh, rape reports. The police get on it so fast. They're so good at it. It's remarkable. So uh, Brian Kemp, again, he was narrowly elected. Uh, and uh, quite frankly, he should not have been elected. This is according to Catherine Davis, an anti-abortion rights activist. She says, this is a historic day for Georgia. She continues to say, this is a day that many of us who have been in the pro-life fight for years and years and years didn't really think would be possible in the light of the politics of this issue. So other states, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Ohio signed bills similar to Georgia's this year, and, uh, and they have not gone unchallenged. So this will be debated 
um, coming up here in the very, very near future. Supporters of abortion rights, including the American Civil Liberties Union, have vowed to challenge the Georgia law in court. Uh, This is according to the chief counsel of the Center for Reproductive Rights, Elizabeth Smith. She said in a statement uh, that this is baffinly, this is, quote, baffinly, baffinly? Baffinly. Baffinly. Bafflingly? Bafflingly, yeah. Yeah. That's a funny word, isn't it? (laughs) Baffinly unconstitutional. The Supreme Court has recognized a woman's right to an abortion until up to 24 weeks into a pregnancy, the time when a fetus becomes viable outside of the womb. She goes on to say, bans like this have always been blocked by the courts. We will be suing Georgia to make sure this law has the same fate. Alabama's law, if passed, would ban abortion outright, sitting up perhaps another uh, Supreme Court uh, collision. Of course, we have Justice Kavanaugh there that was appointed last year. And, uh, you know, we, gotta, we have a very conservative uh, Supreme Court right now. So it, it is not uh, the Supreme Court of old. So who knows? Maybe, maybe this uh, bill is allowed to stand. I don't have a lot of faith in the Supreme Court right now to make the, the right decision on this. And again, I'm not like, you know, I think people can be crazy. Abortion is like really difficult. It's, you know, I also think we live in a culture sometimes where people want to like celebrate too much. But like, it's also a really hard process. Like, it's just a really emotional thing. Yeah. Uh, so I understand there's a lot of, you know, I grew up in a very pro-life home. One of my first memories was uh, when I was in sixth grade, we went to Washington, D.C. for the largest pro-life rally. And I'm hanging out and all it was just so freaking intense. My parents wonder why I like like horror films and stuff, Mm -hmm. why I'm not like grossed out by gore, because literally they were life like huge posters of just mutilated babies, baby fatalities. Oh, my God. And I was like, what the hell is that? I used to tell this joke on stage about my mom, which she used to point to all the posters and be like, that could have been one of your friends, Ben. That could, and it was like really traumatizing because I didn't have any friends in real life. And I was like, they're all dead, I guess. Um, so it was pretty trippy. So I understand the abortion debate and how intense the abortion debate is. Um, but we have got to re- we've got to respect uh, people's civil liberties. And I don't see how this is uh, how this is not a complete and utter constitutional violation. So hopefully uh, when this does go to the Supreme Court, and it certainly will, hopefully, uh, they can decide or they can side on um, they can decide on the side of precedent in yeah. this case and say, no, I'm sorry. Six weeks is totally, completely and utterly well, insane. Also, let's reiterate the actual realistic implications of this law, right. which is if you get an abortion after six weeks, right, good point. you are a murderer You're a criminal. in the eyes yeah. of Georgia. You are you have committed the act of murder. And even if like after yeah. January 2020. If you go across state lines, if you go to whatever, South Carolina or something to get an abortion, and then you come back, and then the Georgia Gestapo find out that you did that, you are still going to prison for murder. Unbelievable. It's insane. And, like, there, you know, all these. Not to mention, Donald Trump has paid for probably 20 abortions, like, not even an exaggeration. Yeah, this guy has, like, a mountain of baby corpses on his hands. Yes, absolutely. It's like like an Irish nunnery. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, you know, uh, in Atlanta, you know, a lot of the film industry works in in Atlanta oh, yeah, of course, in, in of Georgia and like the a lot of uh, people are a lot of independent production companies are sort of threatening to like pull out of mm-hmm. of Georgia as like a punishment to to uh to Brian Kemp and, and this whole thing but it's <sighs> like that just hurts just Georgia. hurts working. just hurts it, Georgia, it Georgians hurt, and it hurts the grips who work on all the shows and it, it just hurts the janitors it hurts everyone what needs to happen is a a Lysistrata thing where women just stop having sex with men until this 
bill would, would is overturned. Be, yeah, my, maybe that's Stop maybe that's it. But then, having sex, it's with also men. the the you know the fact they want to ban birth control. I mean, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, and. I don't like to dabble in this territory too much, but when we talk about patriarchy, um, this is an example, in my personal opinion, of men deciding, making a choice over the bodies of women, and it's just yeah, not a it's single woman right. was involved in the. In I this mean, bill. I, the pro life movement does have some women involved as in far it as stuff, the actual legislature. But yes, exactly. As far as the legislation, not it, it's just it's absolutely mind-boggling and the thing that makes me even more upset as a political nerd is Brian Kemp should not even be the governor. No, of course it should not. literally it should be Stacey Abrams um that's who should be the freaking governor of Georgia. So, elections have consequences and I think this should motivate people uh going in to 2020. All right. Uh so just one more thing before we wrap up this conversation about abortion. I asked the Twitterverse uh what they thought uh, about this bill. Um so I'll just read a couple of tweets here showing people that I read them. Uh Agent X Paranoia says 6 weeks is essentially outlawing all abortions. Basically anything other than a plan B would be against the law. This is according to Kylie at Kylie Danger y'all. Uh, they say Ohio passed SB 23 banning abortions as soon as five to six weeks. Now an 11-year-old girl is being denied an abortion after being raped by a 26-year-old. Her rapist isn't required to pay child support, and she can only request his parental rights to be terminated if he's convicted. That is crazy. Let me read that again. Her rapist isn't required to pay child support, and she can only request his parental rights to be terminated if He's convicted. Uh, Kylie goes on to say, my thoughts, number one, abortion is a constitutional right. Number two, in what world is an 11-year-old ready to have a child? Number three, if a state forces women to carry pregnancies as the result of rape, rapists need to pay to support the child their action created if the victim chooses. So that's an interesting, uh, a, a horrible, horrible side effect of what this legislation happening in Georgia uh, could lead to. Uh, this is according to Bree at Beep Bitch 98. <laughs> Thank you, Bree Beep Bitch 98. She says, lawmakers are wild and women can be persecuted because of miscarriages if it was their own fault. How, how would they even investigate that? Miscarriages can be caused by any number of things. They're traumatic freak accidents. So, um... So there you go. Um, that's just that's that's the people's that's the Twitter verse. A couple of tweets there. All right, uh, let's talk about a little bit more of an upbeat subject here, just quickly. Uh, in Albany, New York, the state Senate just passed a bill Tuesday that will allow convicted felons to serve on juries. Felons who have completed their full sentencing, parole, and supervision per periods will be welcomed on to the jurors bench. There are there is frequently a lifetime ban on felons from serving. This is according to Senator Jamal Bailey. He is a Democrat out of the Bronx. He says when people go through that system, they should be allowed to re-enter society. He goes on to say, we talk about being a society of second chances, but I guess second chances depend on a certain zip code to many folks. I don't know. Second chances matter. He added, if you talk to a layperson, people are calling up the county clerk's office to try and get out of jury duty. Um, but Senator Republican Minority Leader John Flanagan, he's a Republican out of Suffolk, uh, blasted the proposal, calling it, quote, in addition to the Democrats, quote, criminal bill of rights. Such a jackass. It's a criminal bill of rights. Also, there is a constitutional mm -hmm. bill of rights. So um, you're wrong. 
Um, he goes on to say, how could Democrats believe that Judith Clark, a terrorist who killed two police officers and a security guard, would be an impartial juror? Where is the common sense and the respect for all those who lost their lives and families who still grieve? Well, I'm going to assume Judith Clark is probably still in prison mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, they killed three people. So I don't think they really fall under what this legislation is discussing, which is, again, you were busted for shrooms in upstate New York. You were busted for unpaid speeding tickets. God knows what the hell you can get a felony for these days. It's unreal uh, what is felonious. So those people need to be able to come back to society. And as I talked about on the on the, on the top of the show, jury duty is no it, it's no walk in the park. It sucks. So welcome back to society. You have to do the same shitty thing that all of us people who are not felons, uh, previous felons, that we have to do. Now you have to do it. So it's not like this huge reward, but I do think it's important to let these people reintegrate back into society so they don't repeat offend. So this is according to a senator who voted no. This is Jim Goldgren. He says, I voted no because I have concerns over certain people with serious violent felonies, such as murder or rape, or someone like Bernie Madoff as well. Um, And again, obviously, we can point to those more extreme cases. And if you want to look at the extreme cases of any argument, you're going to come up with an extreme conclusion. The vast majority of people in prison are not there for rape and murder. They are there for a series of other reasons, maybe a financial crime, maybe they didn't pay taxes like Wesley Snipes. Mm-hmm. Let them be on jury duties for crying. If you want to go to the extreme, we can. Get, that's what people do in the abortion debate all the time. Like when Donald Trump talks about how doctors are allowing babies to be born and then they decide if they keep it or not. Like mm-hmm. he talks about infanticide. Uh, you know, and so if you want to go to the extreme ex- extreme and make the conversation, start the conversation there, well, then you're going to get an extreme policy. It's not going to be rational and it's going to end up hurting the community that you're supposed to be helping uh, when you hold office. So I think that is a good story for this week. Do you really have time to go to the post office? Of course not. No one does. You're busy. Between all the traffic, the parking, lugging your mail and packages around, it is a total and utter hassle. That's why you need Stamps.com, one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates those inconvenient trips and saves you money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings you all the amazing services of the U.S. post office right to your computer. We here at LPN love using Stamps.com because Stamps.com is a must for any business. Whether you're a large warehouse sending out thousands of packages a day, or an office mailing important paperwork, or even a podcast network such as ourselves, sending out merch, stamps.com can handle all of it with ease. Simply use your computer to print official US postage 24 seven for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Top Hat. That's Stamps.com. Enter Top Hat. 
Um, all right. Well, you know what? I wanted to do this Facebook story, but let's save this for next week. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Um, because Facebook again, they've they've been banning accounts and and doing kind of all this stuff here, and so I want to talk about that more from a uh, freedom of speech conversation. But we can do that next week. So now let's do uh the conversation that I had with Ken Bone. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Super sweet guy. Uh, you know, obviously he gets blasted. All which way, but I don't know. I was just kind of, I was impressed with how nice he was. I was charmed. Yeah, he was charming. I know he's like, anyway, you you, you can be the judge. Um, all right, everyone, enjoy the interview with Ken Bone. All right, everyone, I spoke about uh, Mr. Ken Bone on last week's episode, and on this week's episode, we are absolutely honored uh, to have him on the show. So, uh, Mr. Bone, thank you so much for doing the show. Well, honored, that is a really strong word. I, I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, we are, of course. Uh, you know, for those that don't know who Ken Bone is, uh, he rose to prominence during a CNN town hall. Uh, he was a um, undecided voter in the 2016 election. And uh, you had a, a red sweater on and some khaki pants. And everyone's like, this is so crazy. This man, this man is meme worthy. And by the time that CNN town hall ended, you were everywhere on the internet. That must have been so freaking trippy when you just like leave the CNN town hall because I know they don't let you have phones or anything there, right? Right. And you look at your phone and you're like, why Why the hell am I trending? Why is hashtag Ken Bone trending on Twitter? What was that experience like? Well, it was weird because I didn't actually even have Twitter installed on my phone. I had to re-download it. Oh, that's I hilarious. I had a new phone and I didn't really use Twitter and so I had to download it over again. And I found that I was hashtag Ken Bone was trending number one. Hashtag Kenneth Bone was number uh, two. And another spelling, I think it was like a misspelling, was number seven. So I was three of the top ten That's trending topics. Yeah, you know you hit internet fame when uh, even a misspelling of your name is still trending within the top ten. I think that's a pretty good sign of that. Yeah, I mean, if only they paid you to have Twitter followers, oh, that would have been God. just set. Yeah, that would have been pretty dope for sure. Uh, did you freak out? I think I would have freaked out, and I do. I'm like, I'm kind of a public figure in some in some circles. I think I would have freaked out if, unbeknownst to me, something I did just all of a sudden caught internet meme fire. That must have been a little nerve wracking. Well, I mean, I thought it was weird, and I guess I got a little stressed out, but I think it was mostly because I was so busy. Uh, that first two weeks after the debate, uh, I was only sleeping about three hours a night, and I was doing media 18 to 20 hours a day. Right, uh, right. Every day except Sundays. And so I was, you know, I was just in a fog, but I wouldn't right. say I was nervous or freaked out or anything. People stopped me on the street, and I'd just be like, hey, how's it going? I. Uh, it never ceased to surprise me that people would stop me and want to talk to me or that I'd get calls from, you know, Fox News or CNN or right. HBO or whatever. I'm just like, oh, you heard of me. That's cool. Thanks. And then we do the interview and then it'd be over. You're so chill. That's incredible. I love it. I mean, you were representative. It was interesting. I believe it was 2000. And what did we have? 2012 or maybe it was 2008. I don't know. There was that fellow named Joe the Plumber. And he wasn't, his name wasn't Joe and he wasn't a plumber, um, but he was supposed to represent the everyman, uh, the folks from the Midwest, the people who are uh, your so-called white uh, working middle class. And you sort of had to carry, I don't want to know, I don't know if the word is burden, maybe the mantle of the white working class 
That must have been an interesting feeling, knowing that at this point now, your words do matter. Your words are now representative, or at least representative in the minds of some people in this country, of a large group of people. Uh, did that ever make you, you know, reconsider some of your politics, reconsider some of your policy ideas or anything like that? Or was that something that you felt comfortable, you know, sort of uh, being the head of? I just feel like I'm more measured with my words now, uh, since like it or not, we're obsessed with fame in this culture. Oh, yeah. And I was a little bit famous and I still am kind of, I guess, you know, I'm. I'm what they call a social media influencer, which I think is a dumb term, but I think <laughs> yeah. that's technically what I am. Awesome. Uh, and so that means that I do kind of have some influence and yeah. it's strange. So that's kind of given me a sense of responsibility. Uh, it's the reason why I never told anybody who I voted for or who I was going to vote for, because I don't think it's fair to influence people based on the opinion of just some dude from St. Louis. Right. Uh, right. I don't. I, I encourage people to get involved and to get out and vote and to get involved in their local communities and do community leadership. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to tell them what to think or what to do. I just want to tell them to get involved. Now, I'm right. never going to tell you who to vote for. I'm just going to tell you to go vote. You know, that made me feel a little responsible, but that was it. And that's what I liked so much about um, you and just sort of the fame uh, aspect to your life. You never, you never did let it go. It didn't seem like you let it go to your head. You didn't become one of these people who just starts pontificating and shaming folks who don't have the same political ideology or the same political uh, brand endorsement as you might have. But you did get some blowback for just being because I'm you know, I get blowback for me to moderate and trying to be um, as sensible as possible all the time. I get sniped at from both sides on a regular basis. But you did get some blowback specifically from Bill Maher on HBO. And this is actually where the conversation started last week where I was talking about how Bill Maher, I thought he was kind of an asshole to you, but that's sort of Bill Maher's brand. But I thought he was far too nice to someone like Milo Yanniopoulos. Of course, Milo certainly uh, lets you know where he falls on the political spectrum. Uh, but he was upset with you for being undecided. And I thought that that was, I thought that he was, I don't want to say bullying because I think that term, you know, kind of gets uh, overused a little bit. But I thought he was just kind of not understanding uh, your rationale. What do you want to, what did you want to tell Bill Maher uh, that you weren't able to say on that show? Because I, I felt he was just badgering too much. Well, we didn't really have time to get into it super in depth because I think it was like a 10 minute segment or something. But uh, when people ask me, how could you possibly be undecided between these two people who are such polar opposites? Uh, well, see, that's exactly the thing. When you give me the choice between two polar opposites and both of them suck, it, of course I'm going to be undecided. I think I'll, unless you were in the tank for either Republicans or Democrats right. or Trump or Hillary personally, there was an element of undecidedness to everybody. Yes. Uh, the percentage of people who voted for one of those two candidates, I feel like is very low. I think most everybody who voted voted against the other candidate. Absolutely. And I was undecided. It's I didn't like Donald Trump. I don't like him now. I mean, he's policy-wise, he's maybe 50-50, but rhetoric oh, and yeah. uh, rhetoric and tenor and the being the face of the country mm. is a massive, massive failure. Yeah. Uh, and it really 
bothers me. Right. Uh, I didn't realize until he became president how much I would miss having someone who is, quote, presidential. Right. But the reason I was undecided wasn't because I liked him. It's because I've hated Hillary Clinton since I was in high school. Right. Uh, I was in high school when she ran for Senate, and I thought, man, the people of New York are never going to elect somebody to the Senate who just bought a house two months ago specifically to establish residency. What a freaking scam. New Yorkers mm. are smarter than that. And it turns out they're not. Sorry, New York listeners, but you did it to your damn self. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, with Hillary Clinton, obviously, uh, she had a lot of connections up here in New York State. It was an open Senate seat. She was able to kind of take advantage of that. And this is why she got the carpetbagger. This is sort of a, a term that's used to describe politicians who do exactly what she did. Show up in a town, buy a, buy a spot for one month, and then run for a high political office and win because of political connections. So you're right. It was an election of you know who you didn't like more and i thought that's what was so negative about 2016 it was just everything was dark everything was bleak uh, there was a storm cloud a political storm cloud over the entire country but now we are in obviously another presidential election cycle it seems as if the democrats are more uh they're 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 more like the republican party in the sense that they have a copious a, a cornucopia of candidates uh, the Democratic Party can choose from. And of course, uh, the Republicans are stuck with Donald Trump and, and Bill Weld is also running against him. But I'm not sure how well that's going to work out. Um, are you seeing a different tenor already with the 2020 uh, election cycle? Is it already better uh, in your mind than it was in 2016? Or are you seeing a lot of the same old stuff rehashing? Well, there's we're early, very early in the primary stage now, and there's no Trumpian figure in the Democrat side right now right. to be throwing all those barbs around. But we'll get there you when the race so? has, when the race heats up. Uh, I think there will be some nastiness, if not from the primaries, then certainly in the general. Because the primaries, and Andrew Yang not as much, yeah, uh, like and Andrew. Buttigieg not as much, but. Everybody else, it's a contest of who hates Trump the most. Right. You know, there's, I'm not seeing a lot of policy ideas. I'm seeing, like, I think Trump should be impeached. I think he should go to jail. I think he should hang. I think he should burn in hell. Okay, great. You're the winner because you obviously hate him the most. That is the contest that we're having. Uh, we're not having a contest of ideas right now. Right, and you're out there in St. Louis, and we travel all around the country uh, for the podcast, and I see a lot of uh, people – in places like St. Louis, Cleveland, Cincinnati, uh, you know, we were just in Nashville. What is what's the vibe going on out there? Because I know I'm in an echo chamber. I'm in the East Coast. I spend a lot of time on the West Coast. I know a lot of people in D.C. I know for a fact that I am not on the pulse of many people in this country as I drive through uh, these areas and hang out in these areas. I'm always fascinated by the conversations that occur. So in St. Louis, in your more suburban, I, I'm assuming it's a little bit more suburban area. What's the tenor right now? What are people looking for, do you think? Where should these candidates be focusing so we can get a president that, you know, isn't uh, completely and utterly divisive in every single way. Well, we got a lot of local politics going on in the St. Louis area right now. So the focus isn't even on the uh, the presidential election, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Like in Canada, the presidential election season lasts for six weeks and they're trying to pass laws to make it shorter. Yeah. In the UK, I believe it's three months. So we're the only ones that start two years before the election. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's all that does is give you time to throw mud at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're focused on some local issues right now. Uh, St. Louis City and St. Louis County are two separate entities, and uh, they're we're talking about a measure called Better Together, which would bring together the city and the county under one government, nice. which would eliminate a lot of waste, a lot of redundant police forces. Like right now, you can drive literally about five minutes and go through two or three police jurisdictions really? through these small municipalities. And it makes it difficult and inefficient to do things like build roads right. and uh, school districts and yeah. you know policing. So we've got that going on. And also the St. Louis County executive just got uh, just got charged with uh, about a dozen counts of pay for play. Okay. Uh, some some dirty goings on yeah. for him. So so yeah. we've got uh, a couple of scandals going on there. Well, of course, and you know, and, and naturally, obviously, Missouri. We have Ferguson, Missouri, the massive riots that were occurring there, or protests and and, and reasonable protests. It was that, and of course, the city making over half of their city revenue from citations. Which, as soon as cops become the tax man, there's a massive problem. Uh, so Missouri really has been sort of in the political zeitgeist of the country for quite a long time. Do you find yourself? Um, feeling more importance now going forward when it comes to your political opinions as a as a just a people of of Missouri. Well, the whole reason that I became popular in the first place because was because of that n- wave of negativity right. that was riding on the 2016 election. And people wanted to take a deep breath for a second and be like, look at that guy in the sweater and the mustache. And right. let's all talk about him for a couple days because holy cow, is this ever hateful. But you must have gotten so much. And I know that you were going against the hate machine, but I know for a fact, you know, whether it be people combing through all of your, your Reddit stuff, people making fun of some of your posts on there which are totally freaking normal by the way um it doesn't matter uh, that's what reddit is for i and i know people on social media as a matter of fact uh, one of my listeners ended up tweeting at you and that's how you came on the show apologizing for being a jackass to you on twitter uh which i thought that was nice of him but you got you were just people were just dumping all over you and again that's why i thought bill maher was just being an asshole i'm like why 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 I mean, how did you absorb all of that criticism? And for no freaking reason, the criticism was totally unvalid. Oh, yeah, I've been, I guess you'd call it a citizen of the Internet since the early days, you know, AOL chat rooms and stuff. And so so I know how nasty and negative it can get since you're sitting behind anonymity. And I try not to engage in that myself. But then once I became a publicly visible figure and started absorbing some of that stuff, I've always been able to kind of growing up in a, in an internet generation i'm able to shield myself from it a little bit and be like well it's trolls and sometimes it makes you feel bad yeah but most days you're able to just be like yeah whatever yeah i don't care right you see it the way i see it the most these days is uh, a lot of i'm still friends with a lot of reporters and uh entertainment figures and several of them are women and they'll like post a picture or a tweet or something, and I'll respond to it and be like, "Ah, oh, you know, you're doing great, or you're awesome." And like one said the other day, like, uh, "How am I not married yet?" And posted a picture of how great her uh, great a dinner she had made for herself. And I'm like, "Well, there's just no men out there that are good enough for you, Bridget." Right. And I got just dozens of tweets be like, "Oh, Ken Bones shooting his shot," and I'm like, "No, <laughs> no, it's you can." You can be friends with a woman without wanting to touch her. Right. Yeah, I right. know it's this weird concept. <laughs> uh, you can also say nice things about a woman without being a disgusting creep. Right. You know? right. So all the people that are 
sending me DMs about how much of a weird perv I am. I'm like, okay, I, I appreciate that. I'll just go ahead and never talk to a female again as long as I live, lest I, I make her feel uncomfortable. Or maybe I could just live my life with my friends online, you know, the way we do. Right. Uh, so, you know, you just try to ignore a lot of that garbage. Sometimes you retweet it and make the sunlight be the best disinfectant so they feel bad about themselves and delete their account. Yeah, well, hopefully. I mean, I don't know why. Do you think there's a correlation between the just the rise of negativity in American politics and the rise of social media? For some reason, social media, and I've equated it to any any other life form, it needs to mature. I might be maturing a little bit right in front of our eyes. Maybe. Obviously, I think Donald Trump's got to get off of Twitter and uh, just kind of get out of office, and I think it'll be a little bit more peaceful. But do you think there's a correlation between the negativity in American politics and the negativity that we've seen on social media? Oh, without question. Uh, and whenever I talk to high school and college groups, which is where I spend the bulk of my uh, my time, you know, doing uh, speaking engagements or conference calls or whatever, I always tell them the same thing. Like, you guys, like, I remember not having a computer. Right. I'm 36 years old. I'm not that old. I'm in my mid 30s. Right. But I remember not having a computer until I was in high school. You know, the first of my friends that got a computer was in junior high school. Right. When he got it, he was like the the rich kid. Uh, I definitely remembered not having a smartphone. Well, my son, who is 15, barely remembers not having a smartphone. Right. He grew up. We had a computer and we had social media, and he had right. access to the entirety of human thought and knowledge in the palm of his hand. Right. The kids that are growing up with that now, either them or the generation after them, growing up fully immersed in it, they're the ones that are gonna be able to make a difference. Right. Because right. right now, those of us, this is like introducing a repeating rifle to a caveman, the way they gave it to us mm -hmm. and to the Gen Xers and you know the baby boomers. Right. We didn't know what to do with it, and so we're, we're killing each other with it. Absolutely. These kids that are growing up with them, uh, I think they're going to be better. Absolutely. And if you're uh, people use their cell phones quite regularly for basically everything. Um, so that's interesting. You have a child 15 years old. What are your thoughts? Because I actually, you know, I uh, sometimes we'll get a message from someone in high school and it's always it seems interesting to me. It seems like the younger generation that grew up with this stuff. It's no longer the new shiny object. It just is reality. Um, it seems like they are better at understanding privacy because I know there was one there was one story where this uh, this now 18 year old sued his parents uh, for posting all of this stuff of him online ever since he was you know basically in the womb all the way up through you know middle school and high school and he's like I have privacy rights um, do you think that kids are smarter now when it comes to the smartphone of understanding the power of it and understanding that maybe we don't need to document every single thing so then it can be exploited. I think they are, and it's because, you know, people like you and I, we gave away our privacy one tiny little bite at a time. Right. Until now it's gone. Now the Zuckerberg robot has it and is not going to give it back. Right. And we're like, crap, we've lost it. And we'll be lucky if we get little pieces of it back through court actions and legislation. But these kids have grown up watching their dumb parents 
give away all their, you know, just basically give away the store. Right. And now the kids are looking to be like, hey, I've seen how many of you got burned by old tweets and got fired from your job because you thought it was funny to make a joke about, you know, people with uh, mental handicaps when you were 14 on MySpace. Right, right. Uh, that ain't, that ain't going to be me. I'm not doing that because right. they know they're going to live with it forever. Yeah, we got all, we got these smartphones and stuff and as far as we knew it was a fad. Right. Well, now we know it's it's not a fad. It's going to be around forever. And these yeah. kids know it's it's it doesn't go away. Absolutely. And how do you think is there any politician out there for this 2020 cycle that's utilizing social media in a way cuz I follow Insta like Elizabeth Warren on Instagram. I actually think she's doing very good. Uh, she's out doing in the town halls and stuff like that. Uh, 2016 was sort of the Twitter election, which I do think is why it got so freaking stupid because Twitter is full uh, of uh, not always uh, the brightest conversations. Is there anyone in 2020 that's using social media in a way that is engaging to you right now? Or do you just not even look at social media as far as choosing a candidate? Well, I look at it, but I don't read the replies. That's the general rule in all things social media or YouTube. You know, you just look at you look at the tweet and maybe one response. But AOC obviously has a tremendous amount of skill yeah. uh, in social media. I had the chance to meet her once oh, at nice. uh, Netroots Nation. It was before uh, her primary. Okay. So it was when you know nobody thought she really was going to get elected except for probably her and her campaign manager. Right. And she was I've, I liked her. She's a nice young lady. Now, if we sat down and talked policy, we could argue about stuff all day. But I feel like we could have a productive argument and not yell at each other. Right. Uh, right she's absolutely. great on social media and love him or hate him. Donald Trump is unbelievably good at social media, especially for a 70 plus year old. Now, man. I have a question. So, Ken, uh, that's interesting because I actually reading his tweets. I don't know. They're good at distracting a whole bunch of people from some real issues going on, but they're also just, you know, they're just crazy. Like he went on a. You, well, see, you hit on it though. Whether he's doing it on purpose, like whether he's a genius or a madman, we're gonna have to wait for history to help us figure it out. Right. But he's doing exactly what he needs to do and distracting. Right. He is the P.T. Barnum of politics. He is look over oh, here yeah, while I do this over here. Yeah. And whether he's doing it on purpose or not, I don't know. But he's doing exactly what he has to do, which is riling up the base with crazy rhetoric right. and getting people to look at Twitter instead of looking at executive orders. I'm sure that you have some friends who are Trump supporters. Uh, you know, St. Louis, uh, you know, there's I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Trump supporters. Have you found any kickback from people who voted for Donald Trump? Um, are they are they fed up? Because I've talked to a couple of people who voted for him because, again, it was the hold your nose and vote. And I hate Hillary and all of this kind of stuff going on. Have you seen that even people who supported him and maybe they were way into him wearing a MAGA hat, something like that? Are they just like kind of annoyed or fed up or tired uh, of all of this drama and theatrics of in American politics right now. Yeah, some, but uh, the people who jump ship from Trump, they're just going to stay home. Some people who jump ship off the Democrat ticket, they might actually vote Republican. But people who are jumping off of the Trump train, they're just not going to vote at all because there is no way. You don't think they're going to vote for a Joe Biden type or someone more moderate like that with the Dems? Well, it depends because to win this primary with this crowded of a pool, you're going to have to run pretty hard to the left. And it puts you in a tough situation if you're a Republican, a real Republican, where you 
your platform is like gun rights, pro-life, big military, small government. And you're like, well, I don't want to vote for Trump because he's been a jerk and he hasn't accomplished his goals. But I'm not going to jump over and vote for Biden, who is 0 for 4 on my big ticket items. Right, right. So you think it's it's that is, you know, you can't stress it enough. Uh, gun rights and uh, and the pro-choice versus pro-life argument. Those are single issue votes for a lot of people. And as we're seeing with what's going on in Georgia right now, I think the pro-choice movement is going to be more um, vigilant in getting out and voting for 2020 because we're just seeing, obviously, that's a that's a state issue, but you never know if Donald Trump gets another four years, uh, what could happen on a federal level regarding reproductive rights. Um, yeah, so you, so you think that Donald Trump, he hasn't really, his base hasn't really dwindled despite all the disgusting things as far as like, family separation that's just one of the things at the border and you know just the, just all of the negativity it's not very this is what's so interesting i'm from wisconsin originally the midwest is a relatively polite spot and if i talked the way that donald trump talked and i know for a fact my mother voted for him if i talked the way that he talked she would have she would have my father would have slapped me you know and i know the midwest is a relatively cordial place how do they how do they justify all that well it's like i said it a lot of people saw it as either vote for him or, you know, crazy Hillary's going to come take away your guns and have mandatory gay weddings at your church or whatever, you know, <laughs> right, you know inflammatory rhetoric we yeah, we yeah. allowed to spread around. So, yeah, it's with the two party system and the first past the post voting yeah. system, you really are either vote for somebody you don't like very much who does not share your values or vote for somebody who will push the opposite of every one of your platforms right uh, and that's that's going to drive a lot of disengagement yeah what was your favorite experience in this crazy ride you've been on uh obviously i'm sure you're gonna, you're going to start now that another political cycle is on uh underway i'm sure you'll start doing more television more radio uh your opinion now again is valid uh larger i mean obviously it was always valid but now it's it's valid with the megaphone effect that is uh internet celebrity what was your favorite experience of this what was your favorite interview or just did you did you meet people that that really just blew your mind that you got to hang out with well you know uh meeting people like anderson cooper was a thrill because i really look up to him yeah. uh when it, when anderson's doing the news he's doing news when he's doing opinion he's doing an he's doing opinion and he's an opinionated person right that's fine he has never that I've seen ever conflated his own opinion with the news. Okay. He tells you what happens and then he tells you what he thinks. And I respect that a lot because it's all too rare in today's media. Yeah. And he's a huge media figure. And frankly, he doesn't have to do that because you can easily get away with not doing that. Yeah. Uh, so it was a thrill to meet him. Uh, but probably the single greatest experience is after I covered the third debate in Las Vegas. So I was at the second debate. It was here in St. Louis. Okay. Uh, I, I flew out to cover the third debate for Jimmy Kimmel uh, out in Las Vegas. Nice. And then from there, I flew to Los Angeles for the uh, red carpet premiere of Doctor Strange. It was the Marvel movie that came out that same weekend. Nice. That movie was beautiful. I got to take my wife down the red carpet with me. Uh, and so how many you know regular Joe folks get to walk a Hollywood red carpet with their wife? That's the kind of experience that I feel like she deserves that I never thought I'd be able to give to her, you know? Oh, dude, that's so sweet. That's so badass. 
Um, so overall, this experience has been a positive, a net positive for you. Yeah, guarantee. The way I think of it is all the negative stuff, like all the like people that want to troll me on Twitter or dig up my internet history or whatever, that only happened to me. And well, I, I'm a big boy. I can take it. Maybe I have an extra drink every once in a while thinking about it. Right, right. But I don't care. That just that just impacts me. All the good that happened, like all the tens of thousands of people that I was able to help register to vote through nice. voter initiatives that I volunteered for, or the uh, hundred and something thousand dollars I was able to raise for my local homeless shelter wow. and for uh, veterans charities, that's for the whole community. So all the good stuff that happened happened for me and happened for the whole community. All the bad stuff that happened was just me. And the, the good far, far outweighed the bad. I'd do it again in a second. Dude, that is so awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. I mean, I have to ask who you're going to vote for in 2020 because that's the Ken. I have to ask that by law. Well, I mean, if I had to pick somebody in the primary right now, I get I'm torn. I, I like Yang. Yeah. There's some stuff we don't see eye to eye on. I think UBI might be a little bit too hard of a left turn for the economy, but there's so much crazy stuff going on yep. that. Maybe a left turn's worth a shot. Yep. And it, mostly I just like that he's a straight-talking guy. I agree. I, we actually had Andrew on the show, and he was just a wonderful guest. Yeah. Uh, he seems like a great guy. And I love that he goes on shows like Ben Shapiro. Yeah. But he's not going to agree with Ben Shapiro on other than what the weather is outside. Right, right. You know, but but they're able to be civil with each other yes. and talk. And I really got to respect that. Awesome. Uh, somebody who's willing doing kind of what uh, Bernie did when he went on Fox News saying like, look, if you want Fox News viewers to hear your platform, if I want to be the president, I'm going to be the president of everybody. Right. Right. And these people deserve to hear my ideas. Yeah. And so, you know, Yang's doing kind of the same thing. I really respect that. I agree. So Andrew Yang right now is the guy that you're looking at. Yeah, I'd, I'd say today I'm a Yang gang guy. Yesterday I might have been more Buttigieg. He's really appealing to me, but I love him. Yeah. Maybe it's like Maybe it's age discrimination, but I feel like you need to be more than eight months older than me before I can vote for you for president. Because me, you know, me and Mayor Pete could literally have been in the same high school class. And I think about some of the jackass stuff I do sometimes, and I'm like, man, no matter how much smarter you are than me, you're still there. You're yeah. still a pretty young guy. I like him, though. Awesome, man. Buttigieg and Yang. I love uh, both of those guys. I actually think the Democratic primary is really exciting. And I think there's going to be... Uh, a positive outcome in 2020. Uh, Ken Bone, thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Oh, absolutely. And please, can you come? Can you come back on the show as the primaries continue on? Sure. Let me know. I'm, I can come on anytime. Okay, everyone. There it was. The interview with Ken Bone. That was very sweet, wasn't it? I think. Sweet. I yeah. think it was sweet. It's interesting. He's in the Yang Gang. He of is. Course, he's yeah, a Buttigieg yeah. guy and a Yang Ganger. Although I think he's out of the Buttigieg love. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I honestly, it's funny because I try to speculate on what happened in 2016 with Ken Bone. And I think what happened, my speculation is he voted for Donald Trump, going with change. Now he's very unhappy with Donald Trump right. as a president. Or maybe he went third party. I think Ken Bone could have also gone the third par party route and just been like, screw both of these people. But now I think he's definitely going to vote uh, for a Democrat. I think anyway. But you can't tell with the bone zone. He always keeps the cards close to his chest. He is very enigmatic. You he know, is. and he also is very savvy. You know, he's he he knew a lot about sort of local New York politics and uh, in the interview. Uh, yep, and, and local Missouri politics. Um and it is interesting. He also knows his brand. 
His brand, his brand is secrets. Yeah. <laughs> his brand is secrets. He's like, if I tell them what I think. He's also very aware of how he's perceived online. It's and, very funny. What, uh, what a world. And I have a lot of faith in the younger generation. The younger mm-hmm. generation is like, can I be left alone for one fucking second, please? Good. But I thought, I thought he made a good point with like, you know, the way that we were, you know, certain generations were given the internet. It was like give, being given a flamethrower. Yeah. And then being raised on the internet is a different thing. I totally. Think, I, think you're, I think you're aware of what's happening. I totally. When they just see everyone getting screwed over by 10-year-old tweets or whatever. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Reach out to me whenever you want. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.